Good morning, Luminous. Come on, holla at me. Come on. How y'all doing today? Man, it sounds like you guys had a very blessed Thanksgiving. And, you know, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, if you're joining us online, we are so appreciative that you joined us. Hold on. All right, we're not going to start that today. All right, but anyway, praise God. But anyway, I hope everyone had a very blessed Thanksgiving. And um, I have to tell you that I was full, okay, amen. How many people were full from Thanksgiving? I see two hands, I see 50 hands, okay. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and the one thing I, I just, you know, I, I thank God for, I thank God for my wife. And not only is she a um, a woman who loves God and loves people, but man, I praise God that she can throw down in the kitchen. <laughs> Amen. Praise God for that. So today I want to tag this message, if you will, rejoice again. Rejoice again. How many people like to exercise? Okay. All right. That's half the church. We have a healthy church. Amen. Well, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to your neighbor to your left of you and to the right of you and just say, rejoice again. All right. And now I want you to point to yourself and say, rejoice again. Come on with some conviction. Rejoice again. Amen. All right. Let us pray. Uh, Lord God, we bless you and just thank you for this opportunity to just come into your presence, be fed by your word. Just pray, Lord, that your spirit would just move like it always does. But Lord, impact the lives of your people. I pray, Lord, that those who may have came in empty inside, maybe needing some strength, I pray that the joy of the Lord would be their strength today. We bless you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Philippians 4 today. And before we get into Philippians 4, I want to kind of give you some background of the text. All right? So Paul was in Rome for, for, in Rome for two years, um, awaiting his trial appearance before Caesar. And while he was in prison, he just so happened to receive a financial gift from one of the churches that he planted in which he beloved. He received a financial gift by way of Epaphroditus, who was a messenger and on the way to delivering this financial gift, he became ill, and he was ill to the point of death. I mean, like, you know, really ill, like COVID ill, you know. But somehow he was able to make it through. So the financial gift gets to Paul in Rome. And in response, Paul writes this letter. The letter is written mainly to thank 
the Philippian church for their financial contribution. And this is the occasion that Paul writes this letter in. He has such a relationship with this church. And this letter is a lot different than other letters that he has written. It's, it's, it's different from the Corinthians letter. It's, it's different from the Ephesians letter. And the letter that goes to the Romans, it was different. Because the letter that he writes is personal. He loved them so much that instead of writing a letter that was personal, he be, I mean, instead of writing a letter that was pastoral, he wrote a letter that was rather personal. So throughout the entire letter, you, you will see strong language used by Paul. You will see joyfulness. You will see words like rejoice. We don't say rejoice that much, do we? Rejoice and and there's thankfulness and there's there's this gratitude for the gift. Not only for the gift, but mainly thankful to God because of the situation that he's in. However, this does not mean that Paul does not address some of the issues, maybe even some of the concerns that he has for the Philippian church. You know, Paul was concerned about persecution from the Roman government. He was concerned about, you know, false doctrine being taught in and around the church. He was also concerned with, you know, with unity of the church. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of chapter 4 of Philippians, you know, there's, you know, there's a, a disagreement that happens between two members in the church. And Paul appeals to the leaders, to one of the leaders, not involved, and he asked him to actually reconcile the matter. So there's a couple of things that's going on. And at the end of the day, Paul's desire for them really is to be filled with joy. So let's talk a little bit about this. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Very familiar passage of scripture. Just going to expound on this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So when we read verse 4, Paul is making a command to the people of God, people of God saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. He says it so nice that he has to say it twice. But he says it. And he's sitting in prison chained to a Roman soldier for 20 like 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, he is sitting there chained to him. And see, many wonder, why does he have this joy in the situation that he's in? See, the last I checked in Rome, during that particular time, they did not have air conditions. 
They did not have marble top counters. It did not have wood flooring. I don't remember there being much light in those jails. Matter of fact, the jails and the prison system that we have today will be like a mansion to Paul. But some wonder, how does he rejoice? How does he have joy in, this, in these conditions, in this situation? As nice as it sounds to rejoice, thankfully is not contingent upon our external circumstances. It's not contingent upon the things that we see. It's not contingent upon anyone else. And we thank God for that. It sounds easy. But I have to, I have to admit, I have to, I have to confess to you today that for me, at times, it's kind of hard to rejoice. It's hard to, to rejoice when you're on a highway with your family, someone cuts you off, and they give you some type of gesture with their finger. Hello? It, it, I mean, they're, they're saying things out of their mouth. You're wondering. They're like, I mean, it's, it's hard. How do you do that? How do you rejoice when, when you lose a loved one during the holidays? Even as a chaplain in the hospitals, there are some times where it's challenging to rejoice. Hey, even a situation around this time back in 2008 where I was laid off from my job. It made it hard to rejoice even at that time. So rejoicing is, it sounds easy, but it really isn't. It's not easy, but it takes practice. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But yet Paul is telling the church, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says in such a way, not just because it sounds good, not because it sounds intellectually stimulating. He says it because he's trying to get our attention. If you pay attention to the text, you will see not only is there repetition in the wording of rejoice, by the way, in the same verse, but you will also notice that there's an exclamation at the end. So therefore, there's something that Paul wants to get across to us. There's an emphasis on rejoice. For starters, what does it mean to rejoice? I'm glad you asked that question. See, in the Greek, the word rejoice is hyro, which means to be joyful. To be filled with joy. And in the way the word is translated in the Greek, it's an action that is repeated. See, this is how we come to the word rejoice in the English translation. It is the idea of repetition and practice. The more you practice something, the better you become at it. The more you practice it, the more skilled you become. The stronger you become. 
The more efficient you are, and when situations arise, automatically you kick into gear with joy. This is something that really I, 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 I don't know if I'm the only one as a parent, but I challenge my kids with this all the time. See, I have three kids that play sports. I have one that's a swimmer. And I tell them all the time, you need to make sure you are constantly, repeatedly swimming so you become a stronger swimmer. I tell my son, my other son, he plays football. And I tell him all the time, you need to continue to, you know, do your drills every single day repeatedly again and again over and over so he can build his skill. So you'd be a great player. Then I have my daughter. She's a track sprinter. She's a sprinter. She goes fast. That's all she does is just run. I don't have to tell her much. But I tell her, I say, continue to run so you can continue to build your stamina. And I think I, the way I see it is that rejoice, when we rejoice in the Lord, we are continually building our stamina, aren't we? The more we use rejoice, the more we continue to rejoice in our lives, the stronger our faith and our will to persevere when it comes down to joy, even though it is tested, it's continually being developed. That's why I love about rejoice. So what Paul is telling us to do as a church is practice repeatedly being filled with the joy of the Lord. It's not an idea that we always have to be joyful. And that's what caught me. I thought every single time, like, I have to be joyful all the time. Like, I, when I read this text, I felt convicted. I said, my God, I have not been joyful to my wife today. I have not been joyful to those in the hospital. I have not been joyful to those in the church. Maybe I need to walk around and keep a smiling face, laugh, chuckle, and I felt convicted. I thought that I needed to live that way. But that's not what Paul is really trying to tell us. It's not the idea that we can't express emotion. We can't express. God gave us emotions. Therefore, we're, we, can ex, you know, we can express them. But it is the repeated action and practice of being filled with joy. Now that we have somewhat of an understanding of what Rejoice means, see, Paul draws our attention also to where joy comes from. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, in verse 4, he is informing us that joy comes ultimately from the Lord. Joy ultimately comes from God. True joy comes from God. Matter of fact, Paul in Galatians 5.22 tells us that it's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. So God has this joy for us, and he gives it to us through his Holy Spirit, which dispenses it to us. And we're able to have this 
joy. But those who are in Christ, God gives us grace as a gives us this grace as a gift to us. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we we work for. Maybe it's not even something that we deserve, but because of his grace and his mercy for us, ultimately his love for us, we are able to receive it. I don't know about you, but is there anybody else that appreciate gifts? <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate gifts. I really do. I appreciate gifts, whether they're big, whether they're small, whether they're expensive, maybe they're inexpensive. I really enjoy and appreciate people giving me gifts. And it's not that I'm on this gift hype of maybe, you know, that's my love language. That is not my love language. But I appreciate it because, one, guess what? They, they thought enough about me, number one. Number two, I appreciate it because, obviously, <laughs> they didn't have to spend their money, did they? They didn't have to give up wherever they gave up, like money or anything it is, to give me this gift. I didn't have to do anything for it. It wasn't like, you know, again, I earned it or deserved it, but I'm appreciative for the gift. And what Paul is calling us to do is rejoice in the Lord as a way of showing our appreciation to God for the gift of joy that he has given us through his Holy Spirit. There's also the power of joy. I mean, why wonder Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 8, he tells the people of God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because true joy has the power to change our perspectives. It has the ability to change the way we view situations from a human perspective to a godly perspective. And if joy has the power to change our perspectives, then it also has the power to change our attitudes. It has the power to change the way we feel from a heart of self-centeredness to a heart God-centeredness. Where we are thankful and grateful to God. See, we see when we, when we rejoice in the Lord, when we rejoice in Christ, God fills us with this joy. Changing our perspectives and our attitudes, the more we practice it, it eventually becomes automatic. And, the, and others begin to notice it because joy produces gentleness. Joy produces gentleness. Paul says in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. When it comes down to gentleness, it's not just for a particular people. It's for everyone. We are called to exercise that gentleness. In other words, 
when we are joyful, not only does our attitude change, but the way we treat others does as well. See, a joyful attitude produces gentle conduct. A joyful attitude produces joyful conduct. You, can, you can't help the way people are going to react to you. However, you can control your conduct towards another person. You can control your conduct and the way you approach given situations. You have, it, it has, you have the ability to, to be able to conduct yourselves in a manner that is in line with the will of God. While joy is a fruit of the Spirit which deals with a person's attitude, see, gentleness is another fruit of the Spirit that deals with the way we act and respond. So that's the difference between joy and gentleness. One deals with our attitude, and as we develop in our attitude, it affects the way we respond or the way we act. We're talking about gentleness. See, gentleness involves being patient. It involves being merciful. It involves grace. And even at times, it involves restraint. I had a situation long ago as I was working in a warehouse, believe it or not. I was working in a warehouse. And, you know, it, it was years ago, and I was, um, I was laid off for a little while, only to be rehired again to my first supervisory or managerial position. And I come on the job the first day, and all of a sudden, there is an unhappy employee. How many people ever had one of those? If you were one of those people that are unhappy, just go ahead and put your hand down. <laughs> Not trying to call you out. But he was unhappy. So we sat down, and I let him vent. And come to find out, he was actually promised my job. He was actually promised my position. So he, for years, maybe two, maybe even three years, he tried everything in his power. He lied, he cheated, he stole, tried to blame everything on me. It was almost like he had some type of pinky, pinky and the brain complex. Like it was a mission to destroy my career. You guys know pinky and the brain trying to overcome and destroy the planet. He was trying to destroy my life. So all of a sudden, you know, um, what's interesting is that I began to use restraint. There are many things I could have done. I extended grace. I extended mercy. I extended patience. I had compassion for him thinking about his family and, and what I would, you know, what, 
way, if I, if, if I was to fire him, what were going to be the effects of me firing him? I thought about this. But then later on, this same person comes to me later, and he says, I am so sorry that I treated you that way. And you know what? Thank you for not firing me. Because you know what? It would have affected my family to the point that maybe we would, not, we would be homeless, missing meals, lights being turned off. And I believe he did it all because he had taken notice and it become evident that gentleness was at work. Gentleness began to, to rub off on him. There was a writer by the name of Elizabeth George who says that gentleness is strength under control. See, gentleness is not a form of weakness, but rather it is the power to restrain us from the things that maybe we ought not to do. There may have been times where you probably wanted to cut somebody out but didn't. But it was because of the joy of the Lord on your heart which helped to reduce gentleness to others. Our rejoicing keeps us God-centered in our attitude. The result of it is gentleness, which keeps us God-centered in our actions. In closing, like Paul, my desire for you is to rejoice again. I want you to rejoice again. I don't want you to be happy. See, happy is based on what's happening in your life. I don't want you to be in that place. I'd rather you be in a place where you're rejoicing in the Lord. Pastor Ben talked about it earlier. There's freedom, how there's freedom in rejoicing. In verse 5, Paul says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The one thing I want you to know is that while some are correct to look to the word and say, you know what, that's for later on. That's the second coming of Jesus. And actually, they're right. However, I want to submit to you today that Paul is using this word in a different context, in a different light. He uses the word in such a way it speaks of God's position and place in our lives. In Ephesians 2 and 17 where Jews, where Jews were near to God. Gentiles, however, who were far off, 
were brought near by the blood of Jesus. And I like the way Paul says it actually in Romans 10 and 8, saying that the word of, of the gospel is near. In your mouth and in your heart. In other words, when you rejoice in the Lord with joy in your heart, we are confident that Jesus is right here. When we rejoice in the Lord with joy in our, in our words, Jesus is right there in the midst. One of the forms of rejoicing, and I love to do it by the way, is a shout of praise. And I'm just reminded of probably one of the, the greatest praisers of all, David. And how he wasn't concerned about who was looking at him. He wasn't concerned about his circumstances. He wasn't concerned about anything. But what did David do? Who was a king? He said, I'm going to be more dignified than this. And I'm going to give God praise anyway in the streets. The word says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise, when we, when we rejoice, guess what? God's presence is dwelling right there in your praise. Can we stand up today? I know you guys are nice and comfortable in our seats. The heat's turned up a little bit, but that's okay. Toward the end of that chapter, Paul gives some things to praise about. And I want you to think about something that is praiseworthy. Something that you can thank God for. We just finished Thanksgiving. And maybe you are in a situation where you haven't done this in a while. But I want to prep you for this. I want to prep you for this. If you have to close your eyes, do so. But I want to prep you to give God some praise and rejoice again. This is your opportunity. This is your moment. This is the time where you can praise and rejoice in the midst of the congregation and God's people. In the count of three, I want you to give God your loudest, your best, and your craziest praise that you have ever given him. On the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Come on, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Yes, amen. Amen. You're not giving me a clap. You're not giving me praise. But what you're doing is 
you're giving the Lord of glory, you're giving the King of kings, you're giving our Savior, our Deliverer, our, I'm telling you, we're giving him praise because he is the one that deserves it. He is the one who saved us. We could have been anywhere else, guys, but guess what? We're in the presence of God. And where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we close our eyes. If you are here today and I don't know, maybe you could be on the fence. You could be thinking, man, it's been a while since I've since I've seen someone rejoice. I want to rejoice. Matter of fact, when they just rejoice, it became evident that God is in the midst. It became evident that Jesus is in their heart. And, and I want some of that. I want that in my heart. And if we can bow our heads for a second, because I don't want to put you on the spot if that's you. But it that is you. I just want you to say this simple prayer with me. Say this simple prayer with me. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for my sin. And that you raised him from the dead to life. I trust him as my savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. And I ask that you help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we praise God for that? Angels are rejoicing. We are rejoicing as a family, and that's you. Now you're connected to a spiritual family. Get plugged in. Amen. You can text, uh, what, 90, what, <laughs> now I'm messing up. <laughs> but you can go on the church's website, and there's a, a way to you to get connected to our ministry. Amen. As a matter of fact, we have a barcode in a little while where you can scan to get there quicker. But I just want to rejoice with you. I want to celebrate with you and thank God for your decision today. May the Lord keep you and bless you throughout your week. Love you guys. Take care.